Hey, Dave. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Uh, we're reaching the end of the year. Can you believe it? End of the year. 2020. What a year. What did you think of it? I have a quick survey for you. Oh, I, I'd be more than happy to fill out any survey that I have pertaining to 2020. But this is not just about 2020, right? Oh, well, I happen to have a survey right here <laughs> that you can fill out for 2020. And we we really appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. It's really kept us going through the year, uh, having you guys listen and comment on uh, everything that's going on. And uh, we want to keep talking to you. We want to hear more. Right. I think that uh, one of the things that we will make an extra effort for in 2021, I feel, is the like customer participation. I want to be able to interact with the listeners who are listening and uh, be available for any questions or comments and stuff like that. Yeah, trash talking. You know, if you think that Ruby is fine and uh, that I should get over Python, then you can let us know as well. Yeah, and then we should we need to be more responsive uh, for those hot takes too. Whenever we fish them out. <laughs> but yeah, Dave, you mentioned you you have a survey right for about the rabbit hole. Yeah, let me get you the link. It is bit.ly. That's bit.ly forward slash rabbit whole survey kebab case if you know what it means then you should take the survey <laughs> uh but if you don't know what it means you should also take the survey kebab case means it's a it's a dash so rabbit dash hole dash survey there you go upon completing the uh the survey i uh, will probably have your email associated to the survey that way we're giving out a prize a random selection to an individual oh, a fabulous prize is a fabulous prize. Yes. Uh, we are planning to give out a fabulous prize. And the prize is going to be a, a cool gift. It's going to be a Raspberry Pi kit. Oh, man. I am kind of jealous. I feel like I should get this on my Christmas list as well. I know you have one yourself. Yeah, no, I, I, I do. But I'm definitely going to fill out the survey like five times. So don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> well, you should fill out the survey for Wait, sure. Oh. And with your email, we'll ensure that we'll contact you if you are the selected winner. Um, we would probably need your address to send this over. Note that you may need to live in the United States for us to send it to you. That's probably some logistics that we have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> there's some legal stuff, maybe. Maybe there's fine print about us not entering, but maybe I'll fill out the server anyway. Mike said he's going to fill it out five times. So, you know, I got to get in there too. Hit us up on the uh, survey. That is uh, bit.ly slash rabbit dash hole dash survey awesome on to the show hello and welcome to the rabbit hole the definitive developers podcast live from the boogie down bronx i'm your host michael nunez our co-host today dave anderson and our producer william jeffries and today we're going to talk about flaky test probably the thing we hate running into the most those mm. flakiness. Yeah, just warm, flaky tests, like oh. a fresh croissant. <laughs> you so tasty. <laughs> How can they be so bad? No, no, they're definitely bad. They're the worst. Yeah. The absolute worst yeah. thing to run into is a flaky That's test. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about flaky it's, tests. We'll talk about the types of flaky tests we'll run into, uh, some things we've seen as solutions out there. Yeah. Things that you can smash, things that you shouldn't smash when you're oh. filled with anger. There you go. And I'm hungry now. You mentioned that flaky test sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> sounds I, like I a mean, breakfast cereal. 
yeah, oh, yeah, William was talking about that like Korean breakfast treat, and it just got me thinking about like pastries and stuff. So, <laughs> but we're not talking about pastries, unfortunately. <laughs> we're talking about issues we are running into all the time when we're running tests. Would anyone say that they would run where? In what part of the triangle of testing, right? The I forget who created it. Refresh my memory. The testing pyramid with the yeah, like the, unit tests at the bottom. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Bobby Bobby pyramids. Yes, William knows what I mean. Uh, the testing pyramid. Where <laughs> would you think flaky tests exist the most? Oh, the top, uh, top, the tippy top for sure. The, the tippy yeah. top. So, like flaky tests, meaning a test that you run it once and maybe it passes or maybe it like works on your computer and you run it on someone else's computer and it fails or you run it 20 times and it fails and once and it's just inconsistent yeah i mean i always use the excuse that it works on my machine and i try to ignore it because i really don't want to deal with the flaky test but sometimes we need to squash those uh those flaky tests i used to refer to them as heisenbugs the idea of like you know you run the test and it's fine and then all of a sudden it comes up as a bug again or something like that but i imagine nice. those are, would appear with bugs more than like a flaky test but i call them all highs and bugs i guess it is a bug it's a bug in your test if you if you think about it like you shouldn't you shouldn't have a test that fails sometimes it should be deterministic like if you have some given inputs it should give you the outputs that you're asking for in the test so I think heisenberg works i'm curious if like if i look at a google trends for heisenberg if it like peaked around when breaking bag was uh you know popular i think we should definitely look that up just <laughs> just to <laughs> see because i imagine that that probably was the time where it peaked the most i'm trying to think yeah i i don't remember and then if i look up heisenberg and then heisenberg i'm sure the the two will probably correlate and go up <laughs> I'm only seeing interest in England. Only England cares about Heisenbugs. I guess I'm wrong because, like, throughout time, I guess the past 12 months, I probably have to look at the 2004 till present. But like, no one uses Heisenbug. It would you would think I made it up? To be honest, I, I'm I'm pretty I, sure I maybe didn't. maybe you did make it up. I, I, don't I, know. Am I mean, I saw it. There's an XKCD on it. I'm sure. <laughs> and if you Google it, you're going to find the Heisenberg for sure. Okay. Where where would we normally see, like there's many different places we would find a, you know, a flaky test. And there are like some common pitfalls that one may run into. I was reading an article on Hacker, Hacker Moon. I'll put it on the, the show notes. But like they had like a couple of the common places to find a flaky test. And I definitely agree with all of them. So, I mean, I don't know if, Dave, yeah. you want to start off with one that you may have in the pocket. Oh, my God. Like, my favorite is always the date time flaky tests. Like, you know, just Time Lord powers start tingling. Oh, yeah. The time um, Lord like, strikes again. <laughs> you have this, you know, a test that will pass at any time of the day unless the hour is, like, 1 a.m. or something or like if it's if it strikes midnight then this test will fail oh man that is that is truly the worst actually we have a um there's a team member uh that i'm working with right now who's in the who's in the philippines and she cannot run end-to-end tests on her machine like it's just all off by a lot 
Oh no, that's really bad. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. Yeah. yeah, so we've tried to spend some time to fix those tests for sure. Oh man. Yeah. So that's that's definitely a flakiness. I mean, it's like consistent, I guess. Like if you're running it on your CI server, then I guess it works still, yeah. but that's the idea on the CI server is running okay for the most part, but we ran into this issue and like we're slowly converting all the things to like UTC so that it doesn't like matter about who's where and what part of the planet you're in in order to run this in the first oh, place. No. There are so many daytime sins. I forgot about not using UTC. Definitely don't. I think we could talk for a whole episode about like things that you can just really mess up with with dates. But like not uh, using UTC. Yeah, like if you're kind of creating a reference time and or like you're storing a time somewhere and you don't use UTC, then it can get really confusing when you're trying to localize it. And also like if you're using whatever time.now or datetime.now is in your given datetime library in your test, maybe it'll work, but you don't know. <laughs> you never know because the time lord may strike yeah so good to like patch out that dependency and it may be like easier or harder depending on how you're doing it like in python i think ruby too like you often like use like some kind of dependency to like patch out the time like I think what it was like time time cop or something like that or yeah time time cop is the one that we would use in Ruby where you can freeze time for the sake of testing or you can set the time to be something so you can and run your test. Python tests is what freeze gun. Python is freeze gun, yeah, and some you know people you you can roll your own kind of thing too to just mock out the the calls that are offensive. But I remember like facing a challenge with go because you can't really easily block out modules so we ended up having to use dependency injection to inject a fake clock that would always respond with the date that we asked it to so it would just have a method like now and we would inject it into our service class and then it would ask for the time from the clock and the clock would lie to our service in the test and then it would work fine yeah just to be be mindful of the time lord and respect their might because the time lord will strike if you don't respect it mm -hmm. uh, i think the, the one of the flaky tests that i often run into a lot of the times and i always seem to relearn it every time i come across it is like you know the state management of the test that i'm in like a lot of times in javascript i may run something with the before or have a before each and then i always forget all right which one is going to run first when i run the before each here and there and sometimes i may get like an a test that would fail that that fails for some reason and i run it by itself and it passes and it gets really weird so oh like if you have like nested levels of before and, and state getting set up yeah exactly so the idea of that is just like being mindful of the thing you have to do to set up your test just make sure you have that down in a way that you're not causing it to have some internal race condition with the before and the before each blocks aspects of that right it's like i guess it's it's best if you don't have any shared state between the tests like we're just setting it up all beforehand but then you know, you get to a certain point and you need to, you want to like refactor it 
like factor out that setup so it's cleaner. But when you start like getting too far down that path where like you have like many different different setups happening at the same time, it can get a little confusing about keeping track of it. And yeah, I feel like JavaScript is worse at this because definitely. they don't. Have, there's like no first level concept for like shared variables in Jest or like Jasmine or any. Well, maybe Jasmine has it. I don't. Know. I haven't used Jasmine in a long time. Yeah, like there, like Jest has like the before. They setup. have the before, but they don't have a let block, right? So you just have a let variable, and then you have to remember to clean it up. Oh yeah, I've just forgotten. I've forgotten so much Ruby, almost as much as I ever knew. But oh my gosh, like that is so useful. I I forgot about how how nice RSpec setup is. Oh yeah, yeah no, because like RSpec has the let blocks, and it's like a little easier for you. But JavaScript, no, JavaScript's got a JavaScript, bro. <laughs> right, like you often see like people just like setting up an object in the body of the describe or something, and if you mutate that object, it's just a reference. So guess whatever. You're taking the whole test suite along for the ride when you mutate that object. Oh, yes. yeah. Same with the race. It's the absolute worst. And I always run into it. never fails. Like every so often I'll run into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this you got to be mindful. Got to worry about that thing. Let me uh, clean that up. Yeah. You can have a case where maybe everything works like you were saying like everything works fine when you run all the tests but if you run a single test then it doesn't work because some other mutation had happened to the state that's shared across the tests and then boom uh it's out of this order is another one where like uh the ruby community just pays way more attention to testing than any of the other communities i think Ru- i think ruby's the only one that has like an rspec bisect to automatically do the bisect breakdown of your test suite to right. try and find order-dependent tests if you provide a, a seed. So much power. Yeah, RSpec bisect is pretty dope. And that's definitely a way to, to deal with um, flaky tests in Ruby. I wish JavaScript has something like that. I feel like it seems more default to shuffle your tests in the Ruby con- community as well. Like, I don't feel like I often see like tests being shuffled in a CI or uh, like on local runs by default that often uh, as much as I did when I was working more with Ruby. But that can also like expose these kind of like state dependencies in between tests. But then in order to like do your bisect and figure out what exactly the problem was, you have to make sure that you're using the same seed so that you're your randomization, your order is deterministic. Yeah. Does anyone else have any other thoughts on where they would normally see their flaky tests? Like some... Yeah, you can also see it like... We're talking about like test setup and like the interactions of the the test data in memory, but like sometimes you can also see that same kind of weirdness happening with like caching. Like if you're using some kind of you know api layer caching and you're hitting the api if you're not cleaning that out then that can cause weirdness and same thing with like database um state like if you're not flushing that in between test runs like a lot of things in django and rails that the test suites will flush the database in between runs 
so you don't have to worry about it. But if you're setting it up yourself, you definitely have to be mindful to clear that. Yeah, because like the the DB could have certain could be in a certain state that maybe one of your other tests depends that state to exist in, and like for whatever reason, if you if that if you drop the information in the database and the, all your tests blow up for whatever reason, then it it shows that you have those tests require a specific state to exist for it to run, and that's like something you want to address. Yeah, something that surprised me, like one bug that I had that really confused the heck out of me was like that a specific set of tests would fail every single time that someone added a new test that used some certain database model and it turned out that the assertions in some of these tests were like very broad and they were like testing for equality and we were using like factories like a certain python factory that would like automatically create values for different attributes in the model so for example like the name of the object would automatically be generated to be like like say it was uh, a window object and it would be like the name would be unique so it would be window one and then it'd be window two when you made the second one and it'd be window three and then what was happening was like the order was deterministic, but like when you made a new test file, then it would like maybe run before one of the other ones. And so like it would be like, you know, all of a sudden everything after your window two test would start failing because you added like another thing that took the window three. It was kind of nuts because I, I didn't realize that our factories that we were using had like state that was persisting across all the tests. And that just uh, ruined my day. So, like, you know, if you're, like, making an assertion on a value, maybe try not to use the auto-generated value because that that could make you sad. It's like by using, like, Faker or something like that? I know RSpec has... Yeah, I was using Faker, Faker basically. Exactly. It was was a Faker implementation. The other one that I see sometimes is concurrency issues. Like if you're parallelizing your test suite, which I think is worth it, even though it can be a pain to set up, if you don't parallelize properly, if you aren't running each set of tests in a totally isolated environment, you can have problems like if two parallel test runs are using the same database connection, for example, or if they're both hitting the same instance of the app, then you can have like app state or database state that has been modified by one test causing another test to fail. So, you know, if you're running your test and it never fails in isolation, it only ever fails on CI where you're doing your parallelization, like that's something to look into. Maybe try running the tests in parallel on your local machine. Yeah, just I know that there is... Or if you're not mocking out your third-party dependencies... Yeah, like if you if if you're actually making real API calls to some third party service, that can sometimes the third party service has state that's not getting cleaned up, right? Or like it could actually be down, which I, I guess would be a more dramatic failure. Like that that may not be like a flaky thing on the day to day, but you know you may go to try to do a deployment or something or make a critical change and then you know, that test is failing. So your CI is red and you can't merge until you like bag 
the CTO to merge it for you using a super user powers or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it could be that the third party service isn't even down. It just dropped one request. Maybe you got super unlucky and that was like the one out of, you know, 100,000 requests that gets dropped. <laughs> yeah, that would be really unlucky, but it, it can happen. And that, like, I imagine, you know, people may run into the idea of like all these unfortunate events add up in terms of your flakiness where you know some people start to disregard their own tests as a form of like oh yeah that test fails all the time like oh let's just keep moving we'll deploy it to production there's no no problems about that right nothing to see here yeah and mm-hmm. everything's good this, this is ship it make it happen when in reality it's possible <laughs> that you could run into something that is actually broken yeah, 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 it's really dangerous when people don't trust their test suites. It makes the test suites effectively useless. You know, people commenting out the test just so that they can get an urgent deploy out the door or just or, yeah. like rerunning a test until it passes. Because like sometimes you could have a test that is legitimately failing because something is broken, but it fails flakily. And so you rerun it, and then the sixth time it passes, and so you merge, and actually the test was warning you of a real problem. Right. That's no bueno. I, I feel bad when I do that. Or, like, uh, I've also seen the case where, like, maybe there are, like, many different groupings of tests that run against a PR, and, you know, some of those groups of tests are considered optional because you know maybe they are flaky or they're slower or what what have you and if i have a pr and some of some optional checks are failing like i'm still gonna feel just as bad as if something was mandatory is failing uh but eventually i'm gonna i'm just gonna learn to ignore like red builds and just be like okay you know it's fine. I think it's worth it to either invest the time in deflaking your tests or uh, if that's too painful, converting them into synthetic monitors. Because then, you know, you can, you, assuming they were safe to run in production, you just run them in production or even in a lower testing environment if they're not safe. Then you can look at the statistics afterwards and say, okay, well, these tests generally pay, pass. 80% of the time. So if we see that, you know, the failure rate spike and, you know, now the tests are only passing not at all or, or 10% of the time, you can set up an alert. So somebody gets paged if that happens. Right. Like it definitely, like when you got, when you scale to a point, it definitely helps to like start gathering metrics and being smart about those things. I, I saw a pretty nice uh, Spotify article about flaky tests where they're talking about like different tools that their development, I mean, like DevOps teams have uh, provided for flaky tests. And it seems like it, it makes it a bit easier to identify those things. Like when you're gathering metrics and you, you can look at that pretty easily. Also using some synthetic monitors, in addition to, or perhaps instead of some of your browser tests can be a really positive change. Like there are some, so it gives you a different kind of comfort 
Like there are some tests that are just not going to catch. There, there are some problems that your test suite will never catch. Like problems that arise when your database changes in some way. Like uh, maybe it starts to fill up or maybe you get like a particular configuration of data that causes a bug to arise. And that's never going going to be reproduced in your test suite unless you're doing some kind of crazy generative testing. Like that's not something you can test for as part of your deployment process. And so you get a lot of comfort out of just running those things in production on a cron job and alerting on them if they fail. And if you start doing that instead of like for some of the like really critical workflows, like can somebody place an order? You should have a synthetic monitor for that anyway. Right. Observability. And if you can if you can shift some of these tests that you really need because you need comfort over that particular scenario into a synthetic monitor, you can make your the number of tests that you have to keep not flaky smaller. And you can also right. make your build faster. Because these Cause all these browser tests, you know, they're slow. Super slow. Right. Super like slow. the true like end to end standing up all of your microservices and your front ends and poke in and the if, front if end. You, and one of your flaky tests fails and you have to rerun the test suite, they could double your test runtime. Yeah. Like one of the things that really kills me also is like other broken windows that often go along with like a flaky test, like a slow build. Like if you have a flaky build and it takes like a minute to run or five minutes or maybe even 10 minutes like that's manageable to a degree but if it takes you 20 minutes or a half an hour or 40 minutes to run a build or an hour then like you're just like playing craps like with hours of your life like if it, if it fails like 40 percent of the time or 30 percent of the time then that could be like hours or days of your life that you've lost. Yeah, and it you know, can be a I, lot I, of time. I, I I may have lost the that time. I may never get that time back. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely something that you want to you know take time to hack down when it gets that large, right? Like you know, hour build, two hour build. That's just a lot of time. Yeah, you got parallelized. Got to pay the money for the multiple nodes. <laughs> one thing you should not do for sure is, as we mentioned with the one hour build, is if a test pass because you wait a little bit, don't add more time to wait for that test to pass. And then that test is still flaky. Uh, sleep five is not cool. <laughs> Whoever, if you're out there writing capybara tests and you got sleep five in your code, just try and fix that up. Let's clean that up a little bit. Don't sleep five. Sleep 10. No, 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 no. Don't sleep. <laughs> no, no sleeping. Don't, don't sleep Especially if you're using Capybara or Sleep or 5 wasn't enough. They got to sleep 10. No, no, no. No <laughs> sleep 10. No sleep. Right. These, these so, testing frameworks, they have, you know, a wait built in. So if the result that you're looking for is not on the page, it'll automatically, you know, check every X number of milliseconds until it shows up for up to whatever the default wait time is set to. So you like you tell it like okay look for this thing and give up after some time. Right, it's really easy to customize the wait time. So right. just use that instead of sleeping. Right, like the idea is that it it'll do it for five. Like let's say you can set it up so that you check for a particular text on your page, 
and it'll do that in the increments of five seconds, which is equivalent to the same amount of time as sleep five, let's say. But if it finds it in three seconds, then you save the additional two seconds rather than sleeping five, then checking for the page. I like definitely have some time. like, yeah, I definitely had some tests like enter my nightmares that I was working on with like actual concurrent code that was using threads or like in the in the case of Go, Go routines where you know you're actually doing like network requests or things that are asynchronous but you have to like build your own hook into it like you basically have to build in your own thing that will allow you to await because it's not like a a first class thing i mean it, it is because you have channels for communication between things but it took some thinking like a, a little bit of smart test setup and it ended up with like i think better design code as a result of it but definitely a challenge <laughs> yeah i think also one trap that people fall into if you're like if you're using the page object model you know where you create an object that represents the page and it has a bunch of methods on it and you can call those methods in order to make assertions about the page or to make changes to the page as a way of like adding some more domain language to your test suite. So like sometimes people will have negative assertions in there without realizing it, which can cause Capybara to wait forever. So like, for example, if you're checking to see if you're signed in, you know, maybe your page object has a like login page dot signed in question mark. And so if you're asserting that the username appears on the page and that's how you know you're signed in. Then in cases where the user is signed in and that thing actually appears on the page, the test will run super fast. But in cases where the person is not signed in, if you're asserting that they are not signed in using like a page object, it could be that the like that particular test is going to take a really long time because Capybara is going to wait the full five seconds or however long your your default max wait time is, checking to see if all of a sudden the username is going to appear because it was just going to take a minute for you to finish logging in. And so, oh, like, hopefully, um, if you hopefully can, you would have run it and then realized as you were sitting there waiting for it to finish that there may be a better way. Rather than like just pushing it up to CI, I feel like the time that you would like not notice that that is if you're not running it locally, and you're not like wasting your life locally on your machine running it, and you're just pushing up to CI, and then you're like going to get a coffee, or if you don't realize that there's a better way, because there are negative assertions which will flip it, and then it'll mm. it'll mm. wait for it to disappear, or if it's already not there, then it'll succeed immediately. That's fair. If you, yeah use those negative assertions it's a lot faster so you can like pass it are you like an expected uh, argument to the method for like whether you expect it to be true or false and then in the method you can use either a positive or a negative assertion accordingly page objects are totally worth it if you do them right i don't want to discourage people from using page objects because of this one gotcha like they do make your tests way cleaner yeah i mean if you yeah and this is definitely something like as long as you're aware of this particular gotcha, you program to to that and ensure that you're not falling into that to that trap. Yeah. So flaky tests hurt, but sometimes the pain teaches us things 
We just have to listen to it and respond to it. You can't just ignore it. Right. Got to fix those tests. You know, treat a flaky test as you would a a failure. You know, try to do your best to clean uh, that particular issue because you want to make sure that your tests are giving you the confidence that you can sleep at night without getting a phone call at 3 a.m. And uh, when you do have a flaky test, it may end up having to call you at 3 a.m. You got to fix it. And if it's flaky, you might as well fix it to make sure that that phone call doesn't come in again for the flakiness. Yeah, I think, you know, it's so important to keep your tests deterministic. If you really can't deflake a test, I think it's better to delete it. Yeah, I mean, try really hard and get in ironing down that test. But if you can't iron down the flakiness, it's too flaky. Still got wrinkles. Uh, got highs and bugs, got to crush it. You might as well get rid of it. Figure out a different way to test this, that particular part of the code. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, And me, your host, Michael Nunez. Thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.